Hosea 12 and 3. And, and if you help me by amening and throwing your hands up and clapping in the comments, I'll preach quicker today, okay? I can't see them, but I'll preach quicker. In the womb, Jacob, he took his brother by the hill, and by his strength he strove with God. He struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel. I want you to take notice of that line. He found him in Bethel. And there he, speaking of the Lord, spoke with us. As for the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is the name by which he is invoked. The King James says the Lord is his memorial. When you call on the name of the Lord, you are invoking him and you are bringing him into the equation. My message today is a message of mercy, a message of of mercy. Bethel very apparently was a place of mercy. When Jacob was a man that was that was struggling with who he was, he had a he had a character problem. There were things about Jacob that were not right. There were things about Jacob that that were anti-God. The Bible says that his name means heel grabber. When he was in the womb and his brother was being born first, they were twins, Esau and Jacob, and Esau thrust his hand out as he was being born and, and, and was ready ready to, to enter from the womb, to leave the womb and enter the world. Jacob grabbed him by the heel in the womb and pulled him back. And then Jacob was first completely born. Though Esau breached first, Jacob was completely born first. His name means supplanter. It means one who does things that would that would bring others down. So his life was lived that way. And if you read his story, until the time that he returns home uh, from Laban's house, you will find that Jacob lived up to his name completely and utterly. He stole the birthright that belonged to his brother. He stole it from him. He used sabotage and subterfuge in order to take that birthright that he felt like belonged to him because Esau had sold it to him over a pot of lentils. And so he did that. And then uh, when he was in the land of Laban, his father-in-law, he married Laban's daughters, Leah and then Rachel. And then he began to do things that caused him to, to take more of the stock that was being born. That would have been Laban's stock and, and it became Jacob's stock. And though it was legal, there was things about it that were a little shady and not right because Jacob was the supplanter. However, there was a place that Jacob had once been. And it was when he was on his way, running from his brother, he had gone to a place called Bethel. Now, when he went there, the name of it was not Bethel. The name of it was called Luz at that particular time. And yet, when Jacob laid on the ground that night and he dreamed a dream, 
And in his dream, he saw a great ladder that it reached into heaven. And there were angels that were descending the ladder. And then there were angels that were ascending on the ladder. And Jacob, when he awoke the next morning, he realized that he was not just in any place, but that he was in a very special place. I don't think it is a coincidence that Jacob landed in that place on that night. I think if he would have slept five miles to the west or five miles to the east or north or south, that he would not have had that experience. But God ordained that Jacob would be in that place on that night because that was a place that Jacob said, surely the presence of the Lord was here and I did not even know it. And he changed the name of it. What other people had missed, Jacob had caught. And so he changed the name from Luz to Bethel, meaning the house of God. Jacob understood that wherever God's house is, that is a special place. That is a place in need of a memorial. When, whenever we find God somewhere, we need to make sure that we understand how important it is that we would come to God with all of our hearts and with all of our minds and with all of our strength. And we need to dedicate the places that God moves in our lives when we come into this building and when you come back here next Sunday, let me just tell you what you're coming into. You are not just coming into a building. You are not just coming into a place that has materials in it that make it look like other buildings. But you are coming into the house of God. You are coming into the place where the Lord has said his name. You are coming into a place where the angels of God are constantly ascending and descending. You are coming into a holy house. You are coming into a place where anything can happen. You are coming into a place where God's glory will meet you. you you are coming into a place where God will touch you and God will move in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to be in that kind of a house. I don't ever want to take this place for granted. My goodness, if this, if this uh, pandemic has taught us anything at the very least, it should have taught us not to take the house of God for granted, not to take the singing and the worship for granted, not to take the preaching of the word for granted. And hear me when I tell you this, not to take the altar call for granted. There is something so powerful about meeting in these altars where God puts his hand on us and God begins to speak into our hearts and our lives. Jacob recognized that God had brought him to such a place. It was for him a place of mercy. That's what Bethel was. Jacob did not hear me right now. Jacob did not deserve God. Jacob had not done one thing that, that, that should have made God feel obligated to him. As a matter of fact, if anything, Jacob had done things that should have made the Lord feel like he didn't owe him one thing, that he didn't need to do one thing for him. And yet God still said, that's a man that my hand is on, and that's a man that I have a great love for, and so I am bringing him to a place where he will know 
my mercy. And that day, Jacob, that night, Jacob met the mercy of God. He made some commitments to the Lord there. I wonder how many of us have found places like that in our lives where we made commitments to God where we told the Lord some things and we said, God, I'm leaving some things from my past. Jacob did that that night. God, I'm leaving things from my past. I'm not going to be the same person that I used to be. I will be a different individual. And he made all of these commitments to the Lord and, and he meant them in that moment just as you and I have meant them in that moment. And yet, Jacob, because he is like us, he is flesh, there were things that caused him over time to leave his commitment to God. Jacob had a 20-year period where he was away from God. For us, it's been a few months where we haven't been able to gather as we would like to gather with the people of God. But in those few months, I know that there are those of us that have struggled. I know there are some of you, I pray there are some of you watching right now, and I know that you've had a hard time, and you haven't, you haven't had the fellowship of the saints of God around you like you're used to, and it has caused you to struggle. And yet I am telling you today that the same God who met you here last year and the same God who met you here two or three years ago or five years ago or ten years ago, that God is still here. He has not left. His presence is still here. His power is still here. His glory is still here. And most of all, his mercy is still here. The message of the Bible, when you read it, is the message of God's redemption of humanity. That is the key message of the Bible. God's redemption of humanity. The Bible tells us that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. Jesus gave us his mission statement when he said that he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so he did these things. And that is the overarching message of the Bible. It is that message of God's redemption of humanity. But within that, there are many themes that you can find. Matter of fact, I keep a list of Bible themes that I go back to from time to time. And I look over them and I ask God if there's a theme from Scripture that I have not preached off enough that he would have me to preach about again. You could preach about the holiness of God. You can preach about the power of God. You could talk about worship and the importance of worship. You can talk about God's grace. You can talk about who God is, his oneness, his indivisible oneness. You can talk about the plan of salvation and being born again of water and of the Spirit. And we could go through many, many different things, many different things that, that we could preach about or teach about even today. Yet perhaps of all the messages of the Bible, none is more hopeful and none is more applicable today to humanity than the message of mercy. The message of mercy. I thank God, and I've got to stop for a moment. I've got to tell you right now, I thank God for his mercy. 
I'm going to be the very first one to tell you I am not a perfect man. And I don't do everything right. And sometimes I can have a bad attitude. And sometimes I can speak a crossword. And sometimes I can treat people like I should not treat them. That's part of being a person. And that's part of humanity. But oh, thank God that when I got up this morning, there was new mercy that was available for me. And you better believe I reached out and grabbed a hold of it. You better believe that I know I need that mercy. I am preaching to you today whether you call yourself saint or sinner whether you call yourself believer or atheist whether you call yourself agnostic I am preaching to you today and I am telling you every single one of us need the mercy of God if we didn't need it he wouldn't have told us he would give it fresh every day if we didn't need it he wouldn't have told us if you'll give it to others I'll give it to you but he knew my God knew that there were days I was going to fall short he knew there were going to be days I would miss the mark but he let me know that whether you fall short if you miss the mark I will be there with mercy for you I will be there with mercy God is drawn to a person that is in need of mercy. I would even say it this way. Jesus reveled in finding people who needed mercy. He was looking for people that needed mercy. He healed a man sick of the palsy and then he told him go and sin no more. That man needed mercy. He told some people who were being critical of his ministry one time. He said, uh, they that are whole need not a physician. He said, if you think you got it all together, then I can't do anything for you. But there are people out there who know that they are broken. And there are people out there who know that they've got sin in their lives. And there are people out there who know that they're sometimes a hypocrite. And there are people out there who know sometimes that they have drifted from what God wanted them to be. <coughs> Yet our God said, I have come for them. I am a physician. I am a doctor. I am the one that healeth all thy infirmities. Whether it is a physical need or a spiritual need, the healer is in the house today. The healer is in the house. There was a man named Zacchaeus that was a tax collector. I identify with Zacchaeus because he was a wee little man. He was a short guy. And Zacchaeus climbed up in that sycamore tree because he wanted to see this Jesus that everybody had been talking about. Zacchaeus, hear me, Zacchaeus did not have, Brother Drew, how much room do I have to walk this morning? Am I, all right, I, am I good here? All right, am I good about right here? All right, I just have to know how much room. I feel like I'm on a leash when I'm online only. Zacchaeus, notice this, Zacchaeus did not have a physical need. He was a wealthy man. Zacchaeus did not have sickness in his body. Zacchaeus did not have diabetes. Zacchaeus did not have heart disease. Zacchaeus did not have MS. Zacchaeus was a man who had missed the mark in his spirit. 
He had stolen from the people of God. He had stolen from people. He had overtaxed them. And yet he had heard about a man named Jesus. And he just felt like that if he could get a glimpse of Jesus, that Jesus could somehow do something in his life. And so this man, who, who though he was shorter than them in stature, for his whole life he had been looking down on others. And yet that man said, I will climb a tree. I will embarrass myself. I'll humiliate myself. I'll do whatever it takes, but give me a glimpse of Jesus. And when Jesus came walking by, Zacchaeus laid eyes on Jesus but more importantly Jesus laid his eyes on Zacchaeus and he looked up and he said I need you to come down from there why Lord because I'm going to your house but Jesus you don't know who he is that is the tax collector that's the thief that's the man who's been robbing us and Jesus said I don't care what he is I don't care what he's done I don't care where he came from I don't care if he's embarrassed you I don't care care if he's failed you I don't care if he's bugged you I don't care if he's cheated you I don't care if he's lied to you I don't care what he's done I didn't come for those that are whole and if you think you've got it all together you're following the wrong man but I came for people that had a need and so Jesus went to the house of Zacchaeus and when it was all said and done Zacchaeus said, Lord, I'm going to give them back. Not just what I took, but I'll give them back more. And God, I want things to be right in my life. It was a message of mercy that he needed that day. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and he told his disciples, I must needs pass through Samaria. I have to go through Samaria. Why, Lord? We don't go to Samaria. That actually, they had actually built a, a road that bypassed Samaria to Jerusalem. It took them longer to go that way, but they were the Jews were so prejudiced against the Samaritans that they would not even take the shorter road because it went through the city of Samaria where the half-Jews and the half-Gentiles lived. And yet Jesus said, I must go there. And so they go, and when they get there, he sits down at Jacob's well, and the disciples go to get some food for them to eat. And as he's there, there's a woman who comes up to draw water. Now, this woman is so embarrassed of the state of her life that she does not come in the morning with the other women. She does not come in the evening with the other women, but she comes in the middle of the day. Because she does not want anybody else to see her when she gets to the well. She doesn't want to have to look at their condemning stares. She doesn't want to have to see their glances of, of uh, condescension. She is going at a time when she hopes nobody else will be there. And yet there is Jesus sitting on the well. And she said, Jesus says to her, I want you to draw me. A drink of water and she says how is it that you being a Jew 
She could tell by what he wore that he was a Jew. How is it that you being a Jew would ask me, a Samaritan, to draw you some water? And Jesus looked at her. He said, woman, if you knew who I really was, my identity is much greater than just Jew. My identity is greater than just nationality that you are, that you are ascribing to me. But if you knew who I really was, I'm the God of all creation. I am he uh, by whom the worlds were created. I am God manifest in flesh. And if you really knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink of water. Because the water that I would give you, you would never thirst again. And she said, uh, he said, go get your husband and tell him to come here. And she said, I don't have a husband. He said, that's right. You're telling me the truth because you've had five husbands. And the man you live with now is not your husband. And she couldn't believe she was astonished at this man. And Jesus began to minister to her. It was a message of mercy that she had not gone too far. That she hadn't messed up too many times. That she hadn't let him down so much that he would not reach out for her as her God. She ran into that city. And that woman who had been too embarrassed to gather at the well with the other people from town ran into that city. And she ran into that city hollering and saying, Come see a man who told me all that I had ever done. I'm not worried about... Now, the woman who didn't want to talk about what she had done is now telling them, Come see the man who can tell you all that I ever did. She wasn't worried anymore because she knew that that man was the mercy man that man was the man who said I don't care I'll still touch you I'll still love you I'll still draw you I'll still give you a drink of water I'll do whatever it takes because I love people I love people there were Pharisees that came to Jesus Pharisees that even had to do it undercover but Pharisees that came to Jesus because they knew there was something about him. He preached a message of mercy. There was a woman caught in an act of adultery. They literally drug the woman out of the house where she was. We don't even know if she was covered, folks. And in that day, it would not surprise me one bit if she was uncovered. And yet they drug that woman out of a house. They drug her down the street in front of everybody. But they, did, they made a mistake. They drug her in front of God and everybody. <laughs> and they threw her at the feet of Jesus. And they said, the law says we should stone her. But what do you say? And there he goes, being Jesus. And he writes in the dirt. And then he gets up. And he says, you that are without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, boom, 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 boom. All of these elders begin dropping their stones. And then Jesus says to her, woman, where are your accusers? She said, Lord, I don't have any anymore. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. How embarrassed 
was she? Her life is going to be forever stained by the mistake that she has made. This is something that though God will forgive her, she'll carry scars of this for the rest of her life. And yet, what she needed more than anything that day was a message of mercy. And that is what Jesus gave to her. He preached us three parables, Jesus did. He told us about a lost sheep. He told us about a lost coin. And he told us about a lost son. And yet, in each of those parables, we see the message of mercy at work. That is what I'm preaching to you about today. I'm telling somebody that has made a mistake, don't give up. I'm telling somebody that is struggling with things in their life, don't quit. I'm telling somebody that feels unworthy and you think that you think that you have done things that would preclude God from ever working in your life again. I am preaching to you today. I am preaching whether you're a whether you're a saint with hidden sin in your life or you're a sinner that recognizes that and you don't mind telling anybody. I am telling everyone that is hearing my voice. If you watch this a year from now and you hear my voice, I'm talking to you. I am telling you that God's message of mercy is not just for preachers and it is not just for church folk, but it is for everybody. It is for everybody. It's not just for the people that have maintained and been what they should have been through all of this but it's for everybody who is hurt it's for everybody who is broken it is for everybody that has missed the mark you can read about Saul who became Paul he went from murderer to man of God from a murderer to a man of God That's how extravagant God's mercy is. That he will take a murderer, a man who was killing people who were trying to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. People that were trying to build churches in the New Testament era. Saul, who became Paul, had killed them. And yet God said, my mercy is so great that I can take even them. Let me tell you something because we're living in a day right now when people are trying to dig up things from the past. And you better make sure you hear me right now because it, this the, the Lord just anointed me to say this. I felt it come on me. You hear me. The spirit of the age right now is to be the accuser of the brethren. And that is the spirit of Satan. You hear me. It is the spirit of Satan to be the accuser of the brethren. And so there are people that are trying to dig up things from the past. And they're trying to say, well, this happened 10 years ago. We're in a cancel culture. This happened 20 years ago. This happened 100 years ago. This happened 200, 300, 400, 500, 1,000 years ago. And they're trying to bring up all kinds of things from all kinds of people's past. Let me tell you the problem with that. If you start digging up things out of everybody's past, everybody has a past. I've got a past and you've got a past. Everybody has a past. You're watching me. You've got a past. I've made mistakes. You've made mistakes. There's not one of us that have been perfect. And if they dig deep enough and they look long enough, they'll find it in every single one of us. But you'd better remember the message of Jesus. You better quit listening to the spirit of the age and start listening to the spirit of God. His is a message of mercy. His is a message of healing. His is a message of... Of hope. 
It's an extravagant mercy. If the early church could forgive a man who had killed their husbands and had killed their dads, then surely in our day and age we can forgive people who have killed and made mistakes and missed the mark. I'm not talking about sweeping things under the rug. And I'm not talking about not trying to do better. But I am talking about not carrying uh, hurt and anger and bitterness in our hearts because that will keep you out of heaven. Mercy will get you in, but all that bitterness will keep you out. And you hear me, the offense will keep you out, but mercy will get you in. In the book of Hosea, something very interesting happens. And I'm trying to come to a close. I'm only in the introduction of my message today, but I won't preach the whole thing. Uh, in the, I, I knew God had a word for us today, and I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Matter of fact, wherever you are, I want you to just ask God to keep moving in your home right now. Would you do that? Let this message of mercy get a hold of us today, God. Let this message of mercy get a hold of us today, Lord. When you read Hosea, something very powerful happens. That place Bethel, house of God, that was a place of mercy for Jacob. And I didn't even get to come back and talk about how the Lord brought him back there to signify that mercy. Years later, 20 years later, God said, you've made mistakes. You had made a commitment to me. Now you've made some mistakes. But yet, Jacob, I'm going to bring you all the way back. If you've missed the mark, God's going to bring you back today. You hear me. In Hosea, the Lord begins to talk about Bethel, house of God. But you read, and it's very interesting, and I don't have time to go into all of the places, but you can go look it up. The Lord begins to refer to Bethel in Hosea as Beth-Avon. Would you say Beth-Avon? The house of God had turned into the house of sin. The house of God was now the house of sin. And the Lord began to deal with them. I want to tell you today that there is a progression to getting to the house of sin. Nobody just leaves the house of God and jumps into the house of sin. Nobody who's serving God just goes immediately from one to the other. It's always a progression. Think about this. Bethel was the place where Jacob met God. That also later on became the place, though, where Elisha was mocked. What had once been the house of God, still in a time when people were trying to serve God, became a place where those children mocked the man of God. And then later we read about how it is now called Bethaven, at least to God, that house of sin. It's very easy if we're not careful to move from the house of God to the house of sin. It happens one step at a time. It happens with backslidings, plural, where we move away from commitments that we made to God. And we move away from, from things that we had told the Lord that we had, that we had determined belonged to Him about us. And we begin to slip further and further and further away. The last thing this pastor needs is for you to try to justify yourself to me. I, I'm so tired of living in a day and age where everybody wants to justify themselves. I thank God I had a dad growing up that looked at me every once in a while, pointed his finger in my face, and said two words, You're wrong. You're wrong. 
He'd look at me and he'd just put that finger in my face. I'd give him excuse after excuse after excuse. I'd try to tell him why it was okay and justify whatever it was. And yet my dad would just look right back at me, put his finger in my nose and say, you're wrong. And thank God I had that kind of a man in my life. Some of you need to hear your pastor today. You tried to justify why you why you live a life of lesser commitment. You try to justify why you don't lead your kids to live the things of God. You try to justify and justify why you're not in the house of God. All of those things. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to tell you you're wrong. I don't say that to hurt you. I say that because I'm preaching a message of mercy today and even where we were wrong when God began to call Bethel Bethaven he only did it because he needed them to recognize how far they had gone but he said let me tell you something I will still meet you if you'll come back to my house I'll still talk to you if you'll come back to my house I'll still love you if you'll come back to my house my house I'm going to skip a lot that I had in these notes who is mercy for, Pastor? Mercy's for the sinner. Mercy is for the hypocrite. And mercy is for the backslider. It's for any of us that need it. I don't care how much you need or how little you need. God's mercy is for all of us. How long will God's mercy be available, Pastor? Until the trump of God blows and the rapture takes place. God's mercy is available to you and I. Please don't play around with mercy. There is a scripture in the Bible that ought to strike fear in the hearts of every one of us. And it is a scripture where God says this. It's in the book of Genesis. The Lord told us at the very beginning. Hear me right now. At the very beginning of his word, God told us, my spirit will not always strive with man. Right now, I'm wrestling with you. And right now, the conviction you feel, that's God grabbing hold of you and pulling on you and trying to wrestle with you. His spirit will not always strive with man. But I thought the scripture said his mercy endureth forever. Oh, it does. You can go read Psalm 136 and I think one, I think about 26 times in that psalm you'll read that refrain, his mercy endureth forever. How is it that his mercy can endure forever but I can't have that? Hear me. God's mercy is everlasting for those who avail themselves of it. And God's mercy will endure forever but it will not always be available. God's mercy endures forever, but God's mercy will not always be available. There is coming a day when God is going to say, time shall be no more. And when time shall be no more, mercy will no longer be available. Mercy will will extend and mercy will be everlasting in that kingdom of heaven. But mercy will not be available in hell. Mercy will not be available in that place where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing 
of teeth. You won't get a hold of mercy. You'll just be begging for one drop of water, but there won't be none to be found. You'll just be saying like the rich man Diotrephes sin Lazarus to dip his finger in water and to touch my tongue. That's all I want. Can you imagine? Just dip his finger in water and touch my tongue would give me such an, a massive amount of relief. And yet there's not going to be any mercy in that moment. That day is coming. And that day is going to come on us unawares. And I didn't really mean to turn this into preaching the coming of the Lord, but you need to hear it right now. That day is coming unawares. And you need to hear this watchman on the wall. Watchman, what of the night? What do you see, pastor? What do you see coming? Let me tell you what I see coming. I I see famine. I see pestilence. I see earthquakes in diverse places. I see a lot of tragedy and calamity. I see the coming of the Lord. That's what I see. But pastor, tell me that you see money in my future. Tell me that you see a good job. Tell me that you see my kids growing up to do something important. I'd like to tell you all of that. And I'll tell you those things as I can. But the most important thing I've got to tell you is that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. God's spirit will not always strive with man. And while God's mercy will endure forever, God's mercy will not always be available. So that is why the scripture says that today is the day of salvation. We are not promised tomorrow. We've all probably been touched at this point or know of somebody at this point who coronavirus took them down. We know somebody who a heart attack took them down. We know somebody who a car accident took them down. We know people that things happened and they were with us one moment and then they weren't with us anymore the next. And that's happening day after day after day after day. And we think it won't touch us. And we think it won't touch our family. But you hear me. Should God ever choose to take your children to glory, you better make sure you've been leading them in the ways of the Lord. Should God ever take your spouse to glory, you better, you better hope you've been trying to live a life that glorified God so that by your conversation or lifestyle, Paul said, ye might win them. You better pray that you've been living a life that told people I'm more interested in eternity than I am in earth. I'm more interested in eternity and where I'm going. Why are you preaching like this today to us, Pastor? Because I'm trying to preach a message of mercy while I can. While I can. How can we receive this mercy? It's very simple. We need to humble ourselves, we need to repent, and we need to make our way toward God. We need to humble ourselves, we need to repent, and we need to make our way toward God. I had a grandmother who taught my mom to pray. My mom will tell you about it. She taught my mother to pray because every day she would get down 
and she'd begin to call out to God. And as God began to move, she'd get up and she would begin to walk around their house and she would cry out to God. Now you have to understand her story and where all it is that she came from. But she was not raised in truth. She was not raised in truth. But when she got a hold of it, it became everything to her. It, it kept her through a very rough marriage. It kept her through beatings. It kept her through poverty. It kept her through dark days with children. And it's keeping her today. I've got a grandma that time is making ravages on her memory and things like that. But thank God there was a message of mercy that got a hold of my grandmother. She walked through their home, their very small, humble home, praying. And my mom said I'd start walking behind her because I wanted to learn to pray like my mama prayed. And I wanted to learn how to touch God like my mom could touch God. And the message of mercy that my grandmother had received became the message of mercy that my mother received. And it is the message of mercy that I have received. And it is the message of mercy that I intend to pass down to my children. I've made mistakes. But thank God there's one thing I never doubted. And that is that God loved me and that God would take me back if I would just come to Him. So all you need to do today is humble yourself. You don't need to have too much pride to kneel down at your couch in your living room right now. Well, what will my spouse think? I don't care what they think. The message of mercy, the message of mercy doesn't care. Zacchaeus didn't care. The woman caught in the act of adultery, she didn't care what any of those people thought that day. Just so long as she could hear those words, neither do I condemn thee. It's a message of mercy. And so wherever you are, humble yourself. Let's cry out to God in repentance. Let's make our way towards Him. That's what the prodigal son did. In a pig pen, humbling himself, he made a decision to turn around and he started back towards the Father's house. And there was a Father, a man of mercy, who said, I'm willing to meet you.